Bob's Red Mill believes in baking, breakfast, and the pursuit of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Today's program has been brought to you by Calavita. Think outside the bottle with Calavita, America's trusted family brand, makers of extra virgin olive oil and fine Italian food products. Calavita.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey folks, welcome to Food Talk. It's almost the end of February and it's 70 degrees in New York City. It's amazing. We've had a great week. It feels like spring. Although there's people still walking around town today with down jackets and scarves. I don't know. They're dressed for February, but then there's the rest of us like me wearing like t-shirts. And if I, if I had if I had my shorts up here, I'd be wearing shorts today. It's gorgeous. Anyway, we've got a great show today. We've got a couple of guests. We're going to do a quick shout out to a, an event that I've been covering, I think, since the inception. I'll find out in a minute. Um, it takes place next year in the Chelsea, next week in the on the Chelsea Piers called Whiskey Live. We're going to speak to a couple of people behind that or one of the one of the one of the one of the persons behind it. Um, and then for the balance of the show, I've got Chef Andrew Bennett and Samalier. Well, let's master Samalier. Okay, let's MS. Okay, Pascalina Peltier, Rouge Chamat. They've been on the show before. Love them, dear friends. Love the restaurant. Love what they're doing. We're going to really talk a lot about wine and food and wine and wine and wine and food. So that's the whole show. I want to give a shout out to my peeps at Restaurant Piora, P I O R A, on Hudson Street. Um, you know, I've known Victoria James. She's one of these young, like, under 30 psalms that's killer. She's great. She's super smart. Her boyfriend is Lyle Railsback, who works for um, Kermit Lynch. So they got this cute couple, and, you know, they went to France together and visited all these vineyards. So they're, like, on Facebook for a couple of weeks. I was massively jealous. But anyway, I went for dinner. I've been there before for a pasta meal, but never for the whole dinner. The place is amazing. I have to tell you something. We're going to do something with them, I think, for next season PBS. The food is killer. Um, cute little room on Hudson in the heart of the West Village. I love the place. And the night before that, I was out with the people from Chateau Félon Segur. We went to Dirty Bird. And I don't know, man. God, Dirty Bird. Pascaline's giving it a thumbs up. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, it was weird because it was like, I'm going to give him a pass on this because it, it, was, it was Monday night. It was a holiday night. I wasn't going to be in the city. I was supposed to be still at the beach, and I, it was like painful to leave the beach on Monday because it was like literally 70 degrees down there. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So I came up and we picked Dirty Bird for because it was near me, so they really accommodated me. I lived down there and I'd never been before. And of course, those guys, Major Food Group, doesn't really need any more press because if you know anything about Carbone and Teresi and the crew, they're just—I don't know, man—they're just printing money. I mean, the Four Seasons going to reopen any day now with them at the helm, which is going to be some story. Um, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But but they've got Zalnik's dough behind them, so. 
who knows? Who knows how it all works? I don't know. It's like the Wizard of Oz who's behind that curtain. But anyway, Dirty Bird got a ton of great press, and I heard some really good things, and I went, and I was like, no. Really? Really? Dirty French. Dirty French. Not Dirty Bird. Dirty French. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say Dirty Bird the whole time? I'm a moron. Dirty Bird to goes great. Eben, I love you. Hold on. It's correction standard. See, I'm retarded. Dirty Birds on 14th Street, and that place is the shit. It's cheap fried chicken. It's amazing natural wine bar. No, no, no. Dirty Bird. Do not stop, just go. Dirty French, that's what I'm talking about. Sorry, sorry. And I wrote down Dirty Birds. Yeah, that's, I'm reading my own notes. I'm an idiot. I wrote down. Dirty French. Dirty French is that, you know, it's those major food group guys. They're great. Super successful. But I went there, and I'm like, so we go there on a Monday, and we show up at 7 o'clock, and it's empty. I've like never seen a place so empty. Of course, by 8.30, it was packed. But the food was like, I don't know. It was like good, but like, no, nah, I wasn't so sure. And the room just seemed like I looked at the dining room and I'm looking at these people. And it seems like one of those places where people go to look at each other. Like, you know, there's dining rooms like that in New York. Well, I think it's kind of like that's where they are. And But I will tell you, I mean, for whatever reason, I bike past the place all the time. Because, again, I live down in the neighborhood and it's always packed. So Dirty French, I don't know. I'm gonna, I figure it was a holiday night. It was a Monday after a three-day weekend. Maybe it wasn't their best foot forward. So I am not one to shit on restaurants. But I'll tell you, it wasn't cheap, and it didn't exactly have me going crazy. So for my money, if you want to put dirty in front of a word and eat it, I say Dirty Bird is the shit. There we go. Enough of that. Okay, let's do. Let's get to my guest because he's been listening to this guy going. He's looking at his watch saying, hey, dude, when are we doing the show? Dave Sweet, are you there? Yes, Mike. How are you? And I'm not watching my watch. I'm sitting here grinning and listening to you. Sorry. Thank you for <laughs> grinning and listening. Sorry. I went. I just. And I even wrote my. I see. I write my own notes and they're the wrong notes. I, whatever. So tell me. So Whiskey Live. I, I remember way back when, like, like in, in nicer times, it was like 2006 or seven, And I get a phone call. There's this event taking place on Chelsea Piers. And do you want to cover it? And I said, yeah, sure. I'm on the radio six days a week. I, I, I need I need stuff. So you guys sent me a guest. And he did an in-studio interview down at the old WOR Studios, 111 Broadway there down off Wall Street. And this guy comes in, and he's wearing a kilt. And after he left, I remember asking, like, because people like Joan Hamburg was there, and she's been with WOR since the Eisenhower administration. I'm like, was that the first time anybody came in and did a radio interview in a kilt? And the answer was yes. So I think we did the only interview in the history of a 100-year-old radio station where the guy walked in wearing a kilt. So there we go. So how many years has Whiskey Live been going on? Was that like one of the first ones? That was, it was close. We're in our 14th year. Oh, okay. It was our first year we did the radio, and that was Evan Katnack who invented the Brand Ambassador program with D.I. Show. The guy was an absolute legend, and yeah, it was a treat, and he was a trip and a half. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, he's a big, he's like a kind of a big, tall, he's an older dude, but like an imposing guy, and he, and he was rocking that shit. I mean, the guy walked in with like this plaid quilted dress on him, like, dude, seriously? But, oh, yeah. No, no he's, he's a Scotsman tried and true. Matter of fact, his son is going to be at Whiskey Live in the same role. His son, Gregor Katnack, is now the senior master of whiskey again with Diageo. Still doing the same thing, still pouring good scotch. So t- before we go further, and we'll do this a couple times during this interview, give us like the website for this event. And it's next Wednesday on Chelsea Pier, the one on what, I don't remember what number, it's like 24th Street and West Side Highway. 
Right, it's twenty twenty third, yeah, close enough. Twenty third Street and uh, in the Hudson, and the Hudson, right there. Chelsea Pierce, Pierce sixty. We're in Pier the 60. big, uh, we're in the big main ballroom. It's uh, VIP is at five thirty. General admission is at six till nine thirty, and it is the whiskey event of the year, no doubt about it. So, where do people go? Give me the website. WhiskeyLive.com? WhiskeyLiveUSA.com. W-H-I-S-K-Y-L-I-V-E-U-S-A.com. WhiskeyLiveUSA.com. And, and you, need to, you need to buy a ticket. How much money is a ticket? It's 139 139 And then once you get in there, it's like... It's unlimited drinks, unlimited... Yes. T- they're tastings, yes. they're samples, but there's yes. 300 different whiskeys to sample and taste. A couple guest spirits. There's the most award-winning rum of the year will be there. We've got a cognac, but it's all about bourbon, scotch, Irish whiskey, whiskey from around the world. Uh, full dinner buffet, and the, the buffet, you know, is bourbon-infused, of course. It's a whiskey tasting. They use two cases, two cases of Four Roses yellow, uh, Four Roses uh, bourbon in making the uh, the dinner, so it is phenomenal. And have you been involved in this since the beginning? Yes. Yes. So tell me about it. So you're like, what's your title? I should know what this is because you, you've sent me all the information 50 well, times. Over the years, it's changed. I now own the event. Aha, uh-huh, gotcha. For, I own all the events for the U.S. Uh, Whiskey Live is a global brand. So I, I run, own, and operate everything from New York to Los Angeles to Toronto. And how many whiskey events take place during the year? So there's New York, there's L.A., obviously, and where else? We've got D.C. on March 11th, right around the corner, and then we uh, launched Louisville last year in a home of bourbon. Finally, it's, we're a little slow, but we caught on. And uh, and that's if you're a bourbon, if you're a bourbon person, there is no other show like it in the world. And I openly say that. It's tied in with the entire bourbon industry and this thing they call Bourbon Affair, and we're the culminating event. So it's it's Whiskey Live has come a long way since we had that first radio interview. Um, like I said, there's over 300 different whiskeys to taste. Uh, celebs will be there. Brent Elliott, the master distiller from Four Roses, will be pouring award-winning whiskey. Jane Mickey Bowie. Heads right. from Art Beg is flying in from Scotland. Right. Jeff Arnett, the master distiller for Jack Daniels, will be there. Jane Bowie, who's at Maker's Mark. Yep, Jane Bowie, uh, my friend from Maker's Mark there. She's going to be doing a whole new presentation, first time ever out of Kentucky, on custom Maker's 46. Most people don't even know this program exists. It's something that's really only available to retailers and and premium bars. And she's going to be opening up to the general public. And Makers uh, is kind of like when she I, is the person that actually runs quality control for makers. So these these are the celebs. When I go to like music venues, like say the Village Vanguard, which I love for like jazz, the makers are kind of like my go to. Like I'm not going to have like the bar pour, but that's like my bump up pour. It's pretty it's pretty damn consistent. It's, you know, it's it's for what it is. It's 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 consistent and decent, right? Absolutely. Matter of fact, that's their big thing is consistency. And what they've done now is they have allowed for a custom, you know, you talk about barrel selections with whiskey and private barrels and all this. You now can create your own private flavor. And there's actually uh, several different uh, retailers, Bayway in New Jersey, a couple of Aster and Park Avenue Liquors, and a few that have done this. And those whiskeys will be on display, display as well. So, so Aster, Aster so goes makers, to... This, you'll, this is like candy. Gotcha. So Aster would, would part with makers and say, hey, we want to use sherry barrels, or we want to use new French oak, or we want to use... And they make literally a proprietary blend for that retailer. 
They, they uh, sort of, yeah. They have different types of wood you put in, and you, you age your, you age a brand new, uh, you age a bottle of Maker's Mark, finished Maker's Mark. You put your combination of woods in there and create your own proprietary one. There's over a thousand combinations, so whatever you make, it's probably going to be your own. Interesting, interesting. All right. So again, it's next week. The website was. WhiskeyLiveUSA.com. W-H-I-S-K-Y-L-I-V-E-U-S-A.com. Next Wednesday night. And clearly, you know, you you really hit the timing well, I think, with this, because I don't think it's my imagination, but I think the interest in American whiskeys and in dark spirits has really just, like, I, I've been around long enough to, like, the 90s was, like, the era of vodka. And, like, I think now, like, vodka, like, we sort of came through, it's like an embarrassment, you know, like the, what's that thing called, the Long Island iced tea oh, or something oh yeah yeah and then yeah. there was all those like flavor it was like good fuck like i couldn't wait for the 90s to die because all i've ever drank since like i can remember is a negroni i drink a gin negroni it's like it's a horrible habit i have to admit it but i do and i love them and that's like my one drink so anyone that's known me so i was like ooh, like vodka no thank you because what is it it's clearless flavorless odorless triple distilled i mean you can make it with anything but then so now you've got this big push into American whiskeys, and you kind of got in on the energy behind that. Yes, absolutely. The timing, uh, the timing was right, and it has exploded. And I mean, Scotch is still really hot and and, fan, and fantastic. We're going to have a bunch there. Yeah. Uh, but the American whiskeys, the craft whiskeys. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the whiskeys that are going to be poured are literally collector's edition. I mean, the the going back to Four Roses limited edition that they're going to pour literally sold out in the entire country in forty five minutes. Forty five minutes. Yeah, and then there's that limited that Pappy Van Winkle. So there's just certain iconic brands that like come out and just sell for like ridiculous amounts of money, and then they're gone for the year. Right, exactly. So the, sometimes the only time you can taste them are, are at these tasting events. But part of it is is talking with the experts that are there and getting to know it, and a range of things that taste from craft to, like I said, your standard American bourbons. Jack Daniels will be with us, yep. and of course their cousin Woodford Reserve, and uh, all the Beam products, uh, Booker's, Basil Hayden, uh, the Jim Beam Select, and the premiums. Uh, plus, again, all of our scotches, Lafroig, and and everything from dark peated, earthy. Uh, scotch to sweet, buttery bourbon. You know, I think I have to be there next week, 530. I want to get in on the early part because I can't stand these places when it's like a 1,000 people. And I know I've seen this event when it gets busy, and it's wall-to-wall people. It's great. I mean, it's great that it's so successful, but I'm going to try and get there early because I want to I I do a little tasting next week. I'll, you'll be there. I'll, I'll say hello to you. Oh, absolutely, Mike. And, Mike, we'll make sure we've got a VIP pass for you. There's a whole separate VIP lounge. This year it's already sold out. I mean, there's pouring 25 and, and, and premium select and limited edition stuff, 25-year-old stuff. But definitely the other thing is always come hungry because Chelsea Piers does an unbelievable job on the food. And one last question before, we, before I let you go. Four Roses. Now, this is – and I mean this. I'm, I'm, this is not tongue-in-cheek. So if I'm not mistaken, when I was a kid – so we're going back to, like, you know, the post-Kennedy era. Um, right. When I was a kid back then, um, when a dollar was a dollar and a gallon of milk was still a gallon, um, Four Roses was kind of like a not a great brand. I mean, I kind of remember it being like, like 
you know, like the kind of brand you're, people would buy absolutely, half absolutely pints correct. of. And so and then here's, it would, the, here's the 10 second thing. It was an old brand, yeah. actually one of the few that never shut down during Prohibition making medicinal bourbon. When they came <laughs> back into, into light, when whiskey became legal, um, they had different ownership. They went through a Seagram's ownership. Uh, some of the quality whiskey got shipped uh, overseas. And yeah, the whiskey that they were doing for a few years uh, was not the world's greatest. And uh, about... 20 years ago, they really just started ramping it up. Um, then master distiller Jim Rutledge uh, got a, just really dug his heels in and said, I'm not, I'm going to produce quality again. And they're now right up there with yep. any of the iconic brands that are out there. Yeah, I was uh, like really surprised to see it on the shelf at this price point. And then I bought a bottle and I'm like, all right, I'm going to try it. I mean, it's got like a cask number and they're trying to do that. And I took it home and I said, this is actually pretty damn decent. But as it, when I was a kid, it was like what drunks drank. It was like just cheap slosh but now it's legit oh yeah and the whiskeys that are going to be there and this is what's nice is is that the, the whiskey live events everyone comes out with you know showing off a little bit uh i had the privilege of doing some private barrel selections over the years with woodford with four roses with uh and a few others and we're going to have them all there to sample and taste and so the range of of whiskeys with all the brands and you know like i said the the scotches we're going to have some awesome irish whiskeys there the american crafts is going to be over 20 different producers, um, and, and, and all of our standards from all you know, the Heaven Hill bourbons, the Four Roses, like I said, um, uh, Woodford, everybody will be there. So it, it is a, a whiskey enthusiast uh, uh, candy land. Folks, that's next Wednesday, Chelsea Pier 60, 23rd over the Hudson River. Um, it's going to be cool as hell. I, I, I just watched this thing grow over the years. You can visit them at whiskeyliveusa.com. Purchase tickets. Get ready to go. If you get there early, you'll see me. I'll be there at 530, I hope. God be willing. All right. Thanks so much, Dave. Take care. Mike, you have a good one. We'll see you next week. Uh, you will. Um, we're going to take a quick spot for a shout-out for the people that make this show possible and other shows here on Heritage Network. And then we're back for the next 45 minutes uninterrupted, more or less, with Pascaline. And Chef Andy Bennett, we're going to talk a lot food and wine and wine and wine and food and wine until you think you've heard enough. We'll be right back. I don't think there's anybody worthy to run this company but the people who built it. I have employees who've been with me for more than 30 years. And plus, each and every one of them deserves to be an owner. That's just the way it ought to be, and that's just the way it is. This is Bob Moore. He and his wife, Charlie, started Bob's Red Mill almost four decades ago. Today, they offer one of the largest lines of organic whole grain foods in the country. And in 2010, on his 81st birthday, Bob gifted ownership of the company to his employees. I'd received plenty of offers to buy my company over the years, but selling out never felt like the right thing to do. When the time comes to let someone else run this show, I can't imagine selling it to a stranger. Giving the company to my hardworking employees just feels right. The company now has an Employee Stock Ownership Plan, or ESOP. Stock is put in a retirement plan for all of its employees. When employees retire, the company buys back their shares. 
According to the National Center for Employee Ownership, about 11,000 companies in the U.S. currently run as ESOPs. It just shows how much faith and trust Bob has in us. That's Bo Thomas, the company's engineer and maintenance superintendent. He's been with Bob's Red Mill for over 27 years and has put his four children through college in the process. For all of us, it's, it's more than just a job. And, and obviously, it's the same way for Bob, too. Bob is still very active in the company. He's the president and CEO, and you'll find him working at the mill just about every day. Because when you love something this much, you want to be a part of it. Well, I may have given them the company, but the boss part is still mine. Bob's Red Mill is committed to sharing only the freshest, best-tasting whole grain foods on the planet. Learn more about their mission of good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Hey folks, Mike Calameco here. Everybody knows that great cooking really starts with great ingredients, and these days we have so many options to choose from. Well, I go back to the Colavita family brand for years, and there really is a Colavita family behind this brand. I got their story long after I started using their products. Back in the mid-80s when I was the chef at the Ritz-Carlton here in New York City, one of the things you can do as a chef is order your own food. You do the purchasing, and we switched olive oils to Colavita. Uh, when I had my own restaurant down in Cape May, New Jersey, the Globe, for years, that's all we ever poured at the table. That's all I ever cooked with. And then when I started my PBS show in 1999, I thought, you know, if I'm going to look after underwriting and funders, why don't I go after products that I actually use at home, that I actually cook for my family with and in my restaurant with. I've been working with them for 15 years with the PBS series and now with Heritage Radio. The Colavita family goes back generations in Italy. They make their olive oil from great sourced olives, traceable source olives, just south of Rome in Molise province, Abruzzi, which is where my family hails from. Since then, their family's moved here, so there's Colavita is living in Rome. Colavita is living in America. It's a great, trusted family brand. It's the olive oil I use, and I'd recommend you try it as well. Welcome back, folks. And just just to clear the air again, because I did misspeak earlier. Dirty Bird. <laughs> it's on 14th Street near Crispo between 6th and 7th, south side of the block. It's great. It's Eben Freeman's... Um, David Lilly, excuse me, David Eben Lilly. So I want to have them. I think in three weeks, the father and son team are going to be on this show, and that would be David Lilly and his son Eben. David runs Chamber Street, which is I'm picking up a case of wine there again tomorrow on my way out of town. It's kind of all I've been drinking is his wines because I'm like life's too short. Like I can't buy regular wine anymore thanks to this young lady next to me. So I'm like, and he sends out these emails that are always tantalizing where it has a picture of the vineyard all and he's in the vineyard and there's a donkey next to him. And then there's like, they've got like 26 bottles and, and they're always like, like, like $19 a bottle. I mean, the guys, this is not baller shit. This is like really affordable wines. So you buy a case, you get a discount. And I'm like, so it's so like every other week I've been buying a case of wine at Chamber Street since almost in September, I think. But I'm going to have those two guys on. So, Evan Lilly, David's son, has a restaurant called Dirty Bird on 14th Street. It's amazing. Fried chicken, mac and cheese, like simple stuff. But the wine list by the glass of bio-organic wines is absolutely killer. And the restaurant that I wasn't crazy about was Dirty French. So just to clear the air again. Anyway, restaurants that I am crazy about is what I usually talk about. Because there are enough critics. There are enough yelpers in the world. So the people used to get mad at me when I was at WOR because I wasn't – I guess some of the previous hosts – would criticize restaurants. And I was like, you know, there's enough critics out there. The times have changed. There's a million platforms for haters. I do not want to be a part of that chorus. So I'm a cheerleader for the good good teams. And I got the good team with me today. Pascaline Lepeltier, MS, girl, happy to have you back. 
I'm future to you. And Andy Bennett. You've been here before? Yep. Mm-hmm. Andy Bennett, the chef. Restaurants Rouge Tomate. So the first time I heard about Rouge Tomate was they were they were uptown, which is a place I really don't go much. You know, they were 60th Street off Fifth Avenue. And I'm like, you know, I work out at the athletic club every morning, but then I go south, down south, south of 14th Street, south of Houston. I live south of Delancey. I like it down there. So getting me up there for dinner was a bit of a lift. But I went... And Pasca couldn't have been better. I remember my first meal. I think Gabriella Gershenson was with me. Mm-hmm. She was writing with, I think she was still with Time Out in New York then. Um, Pasca came, great wine pairings, love the food. And, and I just thought, this place is a good story, so let's do something with them on, on TV. So we filmed there a while back for PBS. It was a great show. Andy Bennett was at that time the chef de cuisine. Yep. Jeremy Beardman was the chef. Yep. So I remember that stuff. Um, and I remember while, you were, while we were filming, you blind poured me one of those, who's the producer? It was White Horse. It was Bloomer Creek. It was Bloomer Creek, White Horse, and you blind poured me, and I was really, really close. I was just in the wrong country. So I'm like, right bank, Bordeaux, nothing super, super special, love it, totally old world style. I mean, I was in the right bank of Bordeaux, so it's Cab Franc, it's Merlot, that's the blend, that's my money, that's what I'm betting on. She said, Nope. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, how can I be so wrong? You're not that wrong. The varietals are correct. The style's correct. But it's from the Finger Lakes. And my jaw, like, hit the floor. I remember this one. And <laughs> since then, and you had another wine called Ufak from, the, uh, from Hungary. Which from, I, just, like, I had to call up Channel 13 and, like, get it cleared. It's a true story. So yeah. it's, it's spelled Ufak. How do yeah. you spell it? How do you spell it? J- um, J-U-H-F-A-R-K. But if you want yeah. to be... Cheeky, you could look at someone and say you fuck, right? Because it kind of that's a pronunciation, and that's kind of what, so that's kind of what Pasca did on camera. So we, we cleared, but then I so I, I called up the guy that runs Channel Thirteen and I said, look, look, I want you to look at this clip because I don't want to get you in trouble. We're going to cover it with a lower third that spells the name of the wine, so that we we're, we're it's phonetic. It's a little, we're just stretching it. But anyway, but the amazing thing about Rouge Tomat from day one, and this is the thing that kind of blew me away that I didn't realize as a customer reading there. Was that there was this whole, like, strict, I don't want to say dietary, but it's the only restaurant I have ever heard of that has an in-house dietitian. And the concept behind the cooking is really pretty brilliant when you think about it. Why why can't we make great food that's, at the same time, delicious, interesting, and healthy? Uh, So instead of, you know, I don't want to, like, poo-poo, like, healthy places, but, like, I'm old enough to remember, like, the macrobiotic diet. And, you know, health food is always this, like, brown, whole-grain shit that about halfway through you're like, fuck, it's like, you know, tree bark and stuff. I don't want to eat this anymore. I don't want to. But no, you go to Rouge, and it's like, it's like, it's completely, like, transparent. Like, you don't even realize. So Andy Bennett, a quick question for you. Chef Andy Bennett. Andy's the chef now. So Rouge Tomat moved. The good news is, the good news for me, is they moved from 60th off of Fifth Avenue in that old Copacabana space that was huge to a smaller space in a little carriage house on 18th Street opposite Met Pavilion in Chelsea. Thank you. Downtown. We love it. We did that for you, in fact. Rouge Tomat 2.0. She did it for me. Thanks so much. Thank you, everybody. Um, And it's not so little. Food still, and it's not so little. It's it's actually, there's an upstairs PDR, and it's it's gorgeous. But the food's amazing. So, Andy, last week, Pasca had a, a winemaker in from Loire. It was a great meal. Talk about that first dish, that cauliflower dish that everybody was passing around. It was, what was that that was so good? I couldn't get enough of that. I want, I want some now. What was that? Yeah, it came about, I don't know, for a couple of different reasons. Um, you know, I always use, try to use cauliflower in lots of different ways. 
And one of the main reasons why I like to use it is that growing up, I absolutely hated cauliflower. Right. Like, like it was awful. Right. The way um, our parents prepared it. Exactly. Like Brussels sprouts, like most every vegetable. Like if you boil cauliflower a bit too much, it's just, it's just, it's disgusting. It's, it's gone. Yeah. It's um, gone. And it wasn't until, you know, I'd been in restaurants a couple of years and I was just like, and even further in where I really started to realize, you know, how great it was. And, you know, up until a point, people are only just puree in it. And it was like, that was kind of the only thing you used cauliflower for. And then I just became obsessed with it and just keep doing versions of versions of it. Um, but really what happened is that, you know, the cauliflower's got so much water in it. You have this really small window for cooking it right. You know, that window from being just mush and horrible and still having bite and texture is so small. Um, so we wanted to find something that was kind of, you know, it's going to soak up a lot of things. And we wanted to find a way to um, basically just get as much flavor into that cauliflower as possible and make a dish that just really kind of had like three, four components to it. Um, so a lot of what we're always doing is trying to find ways to, you know, mimic uh, fat in that sense. You know, trying to right. mimic the things that you're going to be missing. Um, so it just really went from there. I mean, what do you need on cauliflower? It needs to be, you know, you need something fat and you need some acid. So I just looked at different ways to do that. And, um, you know, tamarind seemed like such a great idea. And, you know, um, so we basically just went that direction and made cauliflower puree. Uh, and bound that with the tamarind and oil, and that became this kind of almost tamarind mayonnaise, mm. vegetable-based mayonnaise at that point. Uh, and then after that, it was really just adding textures and different levels of um, sweetness and acid. So, you know, tea-soaked raisins in there, uh, cooked farro, puffed farro, toasted almonds, uh, and then, you know, a good amount of watercress for bitterness. And it just came together, and it was one of those rare occasions. I mean, when you come up with dishes, there's always... It usually goes two ways. You know, like, you know, it's like you, you're beating your head against the wall because you see in your mind what the end product is, but you have this really awful time getting there. And at some point, you usually just give up on it and come back another day. Whereas this one was the first attempt. At, I put it on the plate and I was like, oh, I really like this. You and got it. it. First, yeah. we nailed it. We're and done. It, and it hasn't changed yeah. since. So. so it's on the menu. Yep. It's great. It's great. I couldn't get enough of it. They're passing bowls and I'm like... Can I just keep this? This is mine. This is mine, right? Yo, folks, I'm hungry. I, need, I worked out hard today. That day I had a... Actually, we had a horrible workout that day. We killed ourselves. Um, and the funny thing is... It was a Wednesday, saw- right? Yeah. It was a Wednesday yeah. night. It's my Navy SEAL workout day. I worked out with a buddy of mine, a SEAL Team 6 guy. No, SEAL Team 3 guy. And he just... We killed each other. It was two hours in the gym. We, I actually went home and, like... I don't usually eat, like, lunch. I went home that day and, like, had, like, opened up a can of Portuguese sardines on some crisp bread with mustard. And I, like, inhaled it. I, like, to, I, I just went, Floom! and then I took an aspirin. I was that fucked up after the workout. We, it was two hours of working out. I got home and I'm like, dude, take care of yourself because you're going out to dinner tonight. You don't want to pass out or anything. <laughs> you don't want to fall down at Rouge. That'll look bad. So that was great. And how did you do that wild boar dish? That was crazy. So it was like it had been, I mean, I'm getting, so it braised and then kind of like, for, it wasn't all terrain, but you formed it and then reheated it again. But it was all braised, pulled off the bone. So we had this nice, it came out of plate. It was just this kind of rectangular cylinder of pure braised, delicious, boary goodness. And I don't even remember anything else except, what else was on the plate? Uh, so you have like an avocado puree that's got a good amount of acid in the jalapeno okay. in the, um, Again, just kind of adding a fat component, paprika, spetzel, um, you know, raw red cabbage, salad or slaw that's got a, you know, a ton of yep. kind of cumin in there, uh, a good amount of acid. Um, but basically the boar ended up coming out great, and this was the opposite end of the cauliflower dish. This just took never-ending cycles to get 
get it where we wanted. Um, but basically, we brine the boar, um, poach it in the brazen liquid, pick it, uh, reduce that liquid back down, fold it through the meat. What cut shoulder, leg, the whole? Uh, shoulder. Shoulder, okay. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, press it into trays and portion it, and we get this very kind of clean, you know, it's great from an operational standpoint is that we get this very kind of clean portion. Um, but the great thing is that when you reheat it, it forms just because of all the gelatin in the meat itself. Right. Um, but you already have all that sauce and everything in that, so it's already seasoned. Um, and that dish, you know, one of the things I think you're always trying to do with Rouge Tomat is that, or at least the way I look at it, is you're trying to break down this perception of what healthy food is. And one of those larger things is making healthy food be messy or rich or at least perceived rich um, and fun to eat and getting away from that kind of, you know, that stereotypical to say, okay, you know, like you said, that perception of, oh, I'm eating bark and I want this to be done. So you've got to make something that's like, it's going to be healthy, but makes you want to keep on eating it and crave it. And that's really that kind of pinnacle of how do you push vegetable cookery so that meat eaters are not missing meat I mean different in the boar scenario but how do you replace all those things and kind of push forward for food that's healthy and then you forget about it's healthy and can just enjoy it and even the desserts because this is a restaurant that has like a full menu it's like a real restaurant so we, I'm going to get away from the health thing because I think I'm just that's like a red herring it's a great restaurant which just happens to be healthy and the food's amazing it just happens to be healthy yep. um, and you don't have to know that part of it but then they get to the dessert part and I think when we were filming with you last November whenever we were in wasn't it like a carrot dessert with like a whip? And it was just – describe that dessert for me again because it was like so satisfying on every level. And I know that it was not full of butter, not full of sugar, and, you know, not full of lard and heavy cream. What was it? It was it was based on what and then how do you do it? Yeah, so basically it was – you know, the loose idea when we were thinking about this was this, you know, a carrot pie and finding something that was um, recognizable to everyone and fun that people like to eat. Um so then we just looked at it, okay, how do we get as much produce, fruit into this dessert? And that's usually one of our more challenging areas where we're trying to re- reduce refined sugar, uh, refined flour, uh, and still hit the marks. Like, it still has to be fun. Like, the dessert, especially as that last in piece, it's got to be enjoyable, and there's got to be that kind of fun factor with it. Um, so we came up with this kind of freeform carrot pie where we make this crumble. It's got lots of spices in it, then we just kind of pulse it up. Um, and that gives us that ability to be able to reduce the amount of cry pust, you know, on the plate. And then we kept playing with these uh, pastry cream variations, and they were either too sweet or, you know, we hadn't really reached that kind of rouge tomato window. And pastry cream is tough because it's, I mean, it's egg yolk, sugar, milk, or half and half, or yep. heavy cream. I mean, you'd play with the, but I mean, it's, it's, it's heavy. Yep. And it's full of fat and sugar. It's just what it is. So the way we got there in the end, and again, it took a couple of routes, is that we just took, you know, basically take a lot of carrot juice and reduce it down as far as we can go before it, you know, starts to get bitter. And from that, we get all that sweetness. We're increasing our, you know, produce on the plate just by that intensity. Um, and then at that point, we've been able to reduce, you know, any refined sugar. So add in, you know, a little bit of honey in there, um, make it the same way as we do pastry cream. Uh, but you have this very intense carrot flavor. Texture's great on it. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, replacing whipped cream on top with a whipped yogurt that's infused of ginger, pineapple studded through it, so you kind of get different bites. Uh, and it's just a fun one to share that, you know, you take that first bite and it's kind of, okay, and you see everyone going for it. That, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going back for this. Yeah, it was killer. It was just bloody. I mean, thinking about it now, and I'm thinking, like, I would, it's 
fucking delicious. Really, really delicious. I'm allowed to say that here. Come on. Action Bronson has a show called Let's Talk About And that's his good show. He has another show where he just gets stoned and watches TV. You ever seen that? Action watches ancient aliens. Have you ever seen that? No. He sits around with his buddies in his apartment. They get completely wasted. And they watch TV and talk. Like, what the fuck? Vice. I love Vice TV. Anyway. Um, I don't know how I segue to that. Because I said that's fucking delicious. That's why. Sorry. Yeah. Shout out to Action. We filmed with him at Lily a while back. Um, yeah, no, that's great. And you're doing brunch now. So now you're open seven days a week. Uh, still six days, still closed on Mondays. Mondays, okay. Mondays a weird day in New York. It's sort of the optional restaurant day. Uh, but brunch, congratulations on that. I'm saying that winking because that's a whole other shift you have to come in for. And as a as a ex industry guy, I used to hate brunch. Well, here's here's the thing brunch. with brunch. I hate is brunch. You have that you know the stereotypical hate brunch idea. Is because you go out, people get drunk early in the day, and it's the same, it's like some kind of bacon, pork, ver- smoke thing variation, or eggs benedict, and it's like the way... The, it's like a time of day when you probably should be at the gym, but instead of being at the gym, you're getting you're getting wasted and you're eating food that's going to kill you, and then you stumble out onto the sidewalk at three in the. Do you even eat dinner after? I don't even know. So you, so what do you do with brunch that makes it good? Because I am so down on brunch. Well, I mean, operationally, like from our point, you know that everyone hates work. Or a lot of people hate working brunch, but yes. I always look at it the other side. It's like it gives you gives us a break from our normal week. You know, so it's a different intensity service. The picks are very different. Um, so it helps break up the week from that side. And then on the creativity side, it's fun as well because we get to do things that we wouldn't normally do at dinner. So this just gives you these other avenues to do fun stuff. Um, and then for us, you know, at Rouge, I think also what separates us from that regular brunch and even from our regular brunch service is that we just don't have those options as far as, okay, we're not, you know, it's not bacon and, you know, all these things. So our service just sets up a little further away from the classic brunch service of, you know, hell. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was the night chef at Tavern on the Green, which is just a horrible thing to ever admit, but they paid really well. And I wanted, I was a young guy coming up, and I my, my, the hole in my resume was volume. I had done three stars, three stars, fine dining, fine dining, the equivalent of tweezer food in, in the 80s. Uh, but I needed volume, because you don't know, you're a young chef coming up, you don't know where you're going to be in five years. Yep. And Tavern was the highest grossing restaurant in, in, in America at that time, 32, 33 million a year. Um, and we did brunch every Saturday and Sunday, and it was just like it was like it was tavern. It was tavern. It was in Central Park. Like when that when the outdoor was open, you would just do like twelve hundred covers, and and you shut down brunch. The last ticket had to be out by four o'clock. You opened up for dinner at five. We had prefatter that was killer, and I just remember just like hosing like sausage and bacon off of the <laughs> hoods and like egg, egg shit from all. It was just like the most disgusting shit show between between four and five. It was just like just the trash cans were full of like maple syrup and half bit sausage and tidbits of ah, brunch that's woofer yeah I know <laughs> whatever it helps us get to the well congratulations yeah. on all that and it's a healthy brunch and if I'm ever here in the weekend I'll come in and Pasca's got this great wine list $40 and under for brunch <laughs> yeah. I saw those wines I know Sorry, some of those I'm wines. thinking about you like housing the, the bacon it was wine. disgusting it was gross because you're also changing the shifts so the cooks are the yeah. AM cooks are leaving the PM cooks are coming you're trying to clean the stove and it's sticky gooey eggy you're picking up those you had those rubber mats and you're just and there's mice running oh god it was just the most awful thing in the world <laughs> yeah, if people ever knew. Um, <laughs> so we've got Pascaline here, who I have to tell you, I, I so I met Pascal at Rouge, the first Rouge, and 
Back then, I was drinking like what I always drink, which is good wine, but like I wasn't drinking a lot of natural wines. And then that changed drastically for the better. <laughs> I'm and now sorry. that's pretty much all I drink. And I wasn't drinking a lot of Loire Valley either, and now I could just crawl into a Loire Valley sleeping bag and never come out. <laughs> like, you can drink Shannon forever. That's you can for sure. Drink Cab Franc forever. And then I discovered like like Muscadet, I used to think, you know, Muscadet was kind of in that category of like non-descriptive, neutral French low alcohol with oysters, like peak pool plus one. Um, I know she's going to stab me after this. <laughs> but it was. I mean, there was so much Muscadet that was so average. And then, like, I discovered, like, Pepierre. And I'm like, what the fuck happened? How does he do that? How do they do that? And your parents, Les Coups, how do they do that? How are they making Muscadet in that style where it's just, it actually has aromatics that are really interesting, and it has body and weight and color? How? Why? Time one leaves, working in the vineyard, I know all of the above. Explain Pepierre to me. Because his, his clisson is just like, oh my God, like I just drive, and it would wine that costs like $23 a bottle for his highest, for his best cuvee. Yeah, because you can probably get the entry level for like 15 bucks. I and it's, his entry level is Leu? Yeah, you get It's delicious. Like, yeah. like, it's like $13 a bottle. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how they. Like, the cork costs a dollar. The bottle costs money. You got to label the shit and ship it. Yeah, they should increase their price. They should. They should. And I'm going to encourage them. I mean, I'll pay I, a few uh, dollars more. We should all contribute. God we should. It. Yeah. So, but how does. what? So, explain this to me, Pascal, because you're, you're. I have this little book. I'll show you this later. This is like all my Pascal questions. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> this is what she's done since 2015. No, no, and I'm not going to read from it yet, but this is what this young lady has done to me. Yes. Okay. Oh my god. Um I love you. <laughs> Enough. So what's Pippi explain to me that like why the, the care they care about everything it's yeah, the vines it's know, the it's, soil yeah, it's, it's caring it's uh, it's it's uh, Muscadet went through that crazy phase of um, industrial wine and it's even you, you can just feel it more when the grapes happens to be quite neutral and give you a lot of lot of grapes and so uh, so you have this uh, this very uh, kind of uh, unusual guys that decided not to try to get the big money from the UK market in the 1990s and to try to just control the yield and make right farming and just pay attention and you have these gems like this this one I praise the most underrated white still today you can age them forever they cost nothing um, they will they are trumping you know I shouldn't use a word like that. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Dave, the engineer first. Uh, <laughs> Let me hear him through the wall. Yeah, David, baby. I'm so sorry. Um, no, they... Uh, we'll beep that out in the podcast. I, <laughs> uh, I, I, I remember, in fact, having that moment when I was uh, blind testing in my first sommelier job, the best sommelier in the world, Olivier Poussy had and uh, my chef, Jack Torrell, asked me to open a bottle for him and blight testing on that wine. And it was 1989, Domaine de l'Ecu. And Olivier called that Chablis Premier Cru. Whoa! And uh, that Whoa. was in 2005. And so I remember that moment very well. I was like, okay, that's a lesson to be learned. And uh, the lesson to be learned meant that I started to... No, I was already drinking Muscadet because I grew up in the area and my brother is born in the Muscadet region. But... Uh, 
yeah, it was like, okay, there is people doing that stuff and there is 99% crap and there is 1% great and let's just focus on these guys. And today, they are saving the Muscadet, you know. They are. Without these guys, Muscadet will be, it's it's a bankrupt region. Like, it's, it's, it's really not a region doing well. And they, they are saved by these 25, 30 producers that are pushing, pushing, pushing for quality. Pierre's so, one of them. The other one you introduced me to is Lécu. Le Man de Lécu, yeah. It was yeah. Guy, Guy that was organically farmed since the 1970s and 80s and, and Joe Landron and Julien Boitodo and Luno Papin and now you can, you can go on. But um, the one are awesome. They are, they are extraordinary great value for us. Uh, just maybe not as great value for them because they, sh- they are barely making a living. I think we... So it's a bit of a problem over there. So they should. I would encourage them to increase slightly the price if you want to save the area. You every year you go. I know at the end of January, beginning of February, it seems like half the Psalms or wine industry in New York decamps for the Loire Valley. There's a bunch of events that take place almost night to night, back to back, that from wherever to wherever. But everyone, I mean, half the people I knew were there for that ten day, two week period, and you again were. What's the sense in the Loire? Because I hear mixed things. I mean, I, I've been advocating for the region. You have. Most Psalms I know adore the wines. Our vineyards... Is, it, is the wine scene healthy there? Is it on the cusp? Is it, are they ripping out vines? Are people going out of business? Is, what's the sense of the economic viability of Loire producers? Is, does it just depend? Uh, it's it's you don't go to the Loire to make money, huh? <laughs> so, except maybe in certain area like Sancerre that's a little bit luckier because the reputation of the wine is like they don't even need to sell it anymore. Um, yeah, no, there is an incredible dynamic today because the land is cheap. <laughs> and so you're getting these great. I mean, it's one of those areas where there's so much bio and organic and good farming practices mm. being done now. Yeah, because there is a lot of people not from the region coming because the land is cheap. Once again, you know, you, we you never forget about the economical factor beyond production. And yeah, yeah. People can buy. They don't need to be from a family. They can get two or three or four hectares of vines. They can decide to do the wines they make. They want to. They want to do without having the bank banging at the door every every single day to get the cash back. So you get this incredible amount of people that. Have, a, have an ideal and they got together and that is that's incredible energy but the region per se is very getting more and more famous but it's still not a region doing that great you know when you see we are talking about Muscadet I think a liter of Muscadet sells today for 75 cents uh, or dollar uh, on Negos so you can't make a living out of that and same thing for Chenin and Anjou Blanc you know you same things a dollar and 25 cents so the region you have couple of people doing fantastic and 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 pushing 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 but it's 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 yeah it's uh, it's it's a beautiful region but not um, not the wealthiest region yet well we just had i think Risto was here a few weeks ago and has a burgundy producer in after that and we're talking about the i mean i, I mean who could, who could afford to drink this and but but if you're buying if a hectare costs a million euro which is what you're paying in for good parcels in Burgundy yeah. or good parcels in Champagne, that's what you're selling the wine for. That's what drives yeah. the price. But uh, I think an hectare today in Muscadet is 5,000 euros, uh, 5,000 or 7,000. You know, like it's... Uh, this producer of... Uh, Le Olieu, yeah, it's the Menuet. Talk to me about them because I just recently discovered, I was drinking a lot of Francois Pinon, I love his Silex Noir, I love his... Uh, his Chenin Blanc and then someone at a store said, well, if you like him, try this. It's... What's well, it's yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a benchmark estate of Ouvray. So we are in Central Loire. We are just on the 
eastern side of a city called Tours. And Vouvray has been considered one of the kingdom of Chenin. So just make Chenin as, a, as the only variator authorized. And Huet, uh, with Monsieur Huet, has been really one of the iconic estates. You can find wine from them, labeled under their name back to 1919. Uh, and <laughs> they have been carrying on the flame of great Chenin and Grenoble limestone. So, yes, yeah, they are... They, they, some of the best and greatest wine I had in my life were from Uet. Uh, and from they age. He has that one cuvee that's really age worthy. This one. Yes, so they have the they have the Olieu that you were mentioning is right. in fact the original one. So they have the one that they started with, and then they added other vineyard holding after the 1950s. So the one that you see all the old vineyard wine from are from that vineyard mm-hmm. called the Olieu. But Le Mont and, and Claude Dubourg, the two other vineyards, are also extraordinary. And by the way, the 15 are outstanding and the 16 are also outstanding. So I would highly recommend to buy everything you can and sell them for 50, 60, 70 years. And they're in biodynamic today. And uh, yeah, they are extra, like this one of value. Like, last, like we did a flight with this one on Tuesday night at the restaurant and I was pouring 92 Demi-sex was slightly off-dry from two different vineyards, and you couldn't think that when we were 25 years old. You poured me one night when I was in uh, M-O-E-L-L, how do you pronounce that word? A moelleux. Yeah, that. So it's just Chenin Blanc done in a slightly, you know, off-dry style. It's a yeah, it's a, sweet, it's a sweet one. It's a sweet one, but not, not, I don't know how many grams of sugar were in there, but it wasn't like sweet wine. But you poured it to me. It was Bright and acid and alive and delicious and fresh and charming. And you said, okay, so you, uh, you know, it was not hard to guess the grape or the style or the region. Like, okay, even I can do that. Uh, and then you said, how old is it? And I'm like, what the fuck? Now, you're, now I can't do that. Um, so I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, 0809. And you're like, it was like 60 something, 1950 something. It was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I remember pre- it was like it was yeah, like a forty-year-old wine, and it was sure so alive. I'm pretty sure you 1959. It was crazy. It was like yeah, yeah it was like almost as old as me. It's, like, it's a moi le premier tri 1959 you had. I poured you. It was so ridiculously good. Yeah, I should not have acid. Huh? <laughs> it's like acid preserve. Acid is good in food, and yeah, acid is good in wine. Right? There's this relationship of like alcohol and acid, where the higher the alcohol, sometimes the acid drops. And my palate has just gone so far from that. Place. But you're a cook, so you lo- you should like acid. I know, I do. I always have, but I haven't. I never really appreciated it in wine. And I mean, I have, but never really. It wasn't like an emphasis, right? Right, because it's almost something until recently that I was really conscious of, and then like suddenly my palate in, in like the last fifteen years just went from drinking like bigger. You know, I used to like drinking. I mean, I still do when I can. You know, Barolos or these big sometimes cabs, and now I just I, I can't. I have no palate for them. I just sort of like, you know, taut, aromatically complex, direct. Fresh, light reds that aren't works of art that are just a pleasure to drink. Yeah, and also there are things that are great with the, with the great food. With, and they're great with and food. And they're great. I think there is a, an evolution on the food side also that we need to mention. I don't know. Like for us, we have a very high acid based food and a lot of, like, not that many uh, heavy, as, as, as chefs say, not uh, heavy fat. Uh, I don't have a lot of juice reduction to work with, like the fresh classic uh, European cooking that we both know because we are both from Europe. So so the wine style, I think, that you like today much way better a bunch of food that we are yeah. seeing everywhere, you know, lighter, cleaner, yep. spices, yep. different. So it's very interesting to see the shift into that. And Andrew, you're also, I mean, so you're a recreational, but a competitive recreational bicyclist guy. 
Because you're, you're right. You can't see Andy because this is the radio. Because he's always been thin as a rail and always in shape. And he's the kind of guy that probably, when he gets a day off, which happens like twice a year, probably does <laughs> stuff like if it's sunny, he goes out for like a 100-mile bike ride. Yep, that's the goal. He's one of those guys. He's, <laughs> he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys. He comes, he's back, he's back every day. He bikes every day to go to work. And at the end of the shift, he bikes And I have to thank you, Chef, for coming in today because I know you came in with a suitcase because from here you're going to JFK. You're flying back to London. Yep. Well... All right. Um, so the restaurant again is Rouge Tomat. Andy Bennett's a chef. He's amazing. Pascaline Le Peltier is just a, a, a work of a work, a force of nature. She has a book coming out with another work of nature, force of nature, whatever I'm trying to say. Um, Alice Firing. When is that book coming out? It's like soon. I think it's June. June 17th. So that's a show we're going to do before we, because I, I don't do any shows after June. I go to the beach and be a bum. We can go show on the beach. No, no, we have to be serious. We do a show here with you and Alice. And that's going to be a cool book, because tell us what it's about. Just give us a tease. Can you pre-order it on Amazon yet? Uh, yeah, you can now. Uh, name of the book is? It's a Dirty Guy to Wine. I love that name. I actually like that wine, because it's, it's, it's tongue-in-cheek and it's a pun. So the Dirty, wide, the dirty Guide to Wine, because... Because you're all talking about dirt. So all of the books that have been written, and God knows there's troves of them, no one's really... I mean, we've, we speak of terroir. We speak about soil typicity. We speak about granite and schist and clay and marl and on and on and on. But as part of another broader conversation of grapes and ripening mm-hmm. and flavor, and yet you've, you're devoting this book kind of, let's start with the dirt. Yeah, we, like we thought that we like to drink places. So, and we were thinking there was something missing for beginners where... Instead of understanding the wine world, either by grape or by appellation, like we always learn about to do, what about just doing a different type of perspective and offering a different landscape? And so, we 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 just break down those our favorite wine region by by main bedrock type. So, and to try to connect wines that you may never think they could be connected. Like we are talking about Muscadet, so we are it's granitic soil and ness and all this kind of thing. So igneous soil and a bit of metamorphic are very similar to what you find in Galicia, and they're also similar to what you may find in Beaujolais or Northern Rhone in terms of bedrock type. So what about putting that together and try to see there is something? You know, it's not going to be you, you are going, you are not tasting the dirt in your glass, but there is probably something we don't understand yet that connects all this wine. So. There is. So that's the other thing. Is we, we have not been able, or it, no one has yet been able to, to prove. Yeah, and it's that. probably going to take time. But but we know, but you know, I mean, we talked back to Chablis, which was with, the, with your, your psalm friend that miscalled that. You know, it's so specific to Chalonet on that kind of limestone. It's so specific that they, you say you can't taste it, but it's there. Yeah, it's not because you don't understand something on a scientific standpoint for the moment. That doesn't mean that there is not something. You know, it can be at a bacterial aspect. It can be something that is hormonal in a plant that we don't get yet. So it's not a, it's a, not a geology book. It's right. not a science book. It's just a book to say, hey, what about trying these two bottles side by side? Yeah, yeah. I remember when you did your little talk with, um, with Alice at the Raw. You were yeah. talking about this specifically, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, and it was this question of, you know, where's where's that taproot going and where's that water going through and what's affecting that nurturing of the plant through that soil, through that water and yeah. let's let's connect these dots. Yeah, let's let's you know, let's 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 be amazed by what we can drink. You know, let's just let's just open doors about questioning 
and let's just drink good wine, you know, and see how it goes. You had last week at your, um, what was her name? I have it written down somewhere. She's a German producer from the Rheingau. Eva. Eva Frick. Yeah. So they, she was at Discovery Wines before that, doing uh, tasting, pouring. And I was, I think it was a Thursday. Um, I don't remember what day it was. But anyway, um, so I didn't want to go for the tasting, but I wanted to try her wines because I like Discovery Wines. The kid's name's Trevor, the kid with the beard. Yeah, Trevor Kellogg. Great guy. I really like him. Really He's stoked a great kid. Guy. Great little store. And it's in my neighborhood. It's like two minutes mm-hmm. from my apartment. And it's a really great, I mean, it's a great, great store. Really great little store considering it's on Avenue mm-hmm. B in like 30. Like, seriously? Like, yeah, really? it's a really good stuff there. Really good stuff. So I bought, a, I, bought her, I bought her entry level Rheingau and then her bumped up the next one. I don't remember the name of it because I didn't have that that night. But I went to Union Square and bought fish on Wednesday. I always do. They have a fish market. So I had fish Wednesday, Thursday last week. And I had her Rheingau. They had a cold. That's what it was definitely. That's what it was. I grabbed it. I said, you have any in the fridge? Took it home. Oh, wow. It's great. Man. So clean. So mm-hmm. precise. Just so dialed in. And she's bio. Yeah, she's she's. Organic, yeah. Organic. organic. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, she's one of the few, by the way. So. I know, I know. This was, this was why I was... I'm like, really organic in the Rheinga? This, I, I'm going to just she? go out of, out of my way two minutes. I need to try... And then I just open up and I'm like, man, she's damn good. So you, she, she was at your restaurant that night doing... Yeah, she was. She joined, uh, in fact, two other producer, uh, Clemens Bush and, and Johannes Weber from Falkenstein. So it was kind of cool for these three guys at the table. Um, yeah, and we tried the wine also with the team. And, and I have to say, Eva has been one of the... Uh, for me, biggest revelation is the Ranga of the last year. Like her, the work she has been doing for the last ten years has been just absolutely amazing, and she deserves all the praise today. And she's in the thirties. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, like, I, w- I would never guess a woman age. But yeah, yeah, no, no, no I, I, and I, everyone to me looks like they're kids. So yeah, you know. no, no, she's she's definitely young, but she has a lot of works on her belt. She worked at Lights for a long time and at Baker, and she knows what she's doing, and she took that big challenge to show it was possible to farm organically and she's one of the few and she deserves a lot of applause for what she's building up by herself with no family capital behind her so god she, damn go girl yeah good i'll go buy some more then yeah, you should. <laughs> and, and tell her to raise your prices so, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you telling me this is also good it's too good i mean in that price because I'm, i mean her entry level rango was 20 dollars retail it was and it was so yeah it's, beautiful. A young, it's a young vine yeah yeah and then there's a single vineyard that's a bit more expensive but they worth the money yeah, I mean, the, the next one up was the... Was, was, the the Loch and the Kirik. The $10 one. So I have a quick question for you. Um, there's, a, there's a grape I'm going to get. I'm picking up a case of wine tomorrow. Where do I write this stuff down? What is this grape? G-R-I-N... Uh, Granger. What is that? I've never heard of it in my life. And there's a producer. So it's, this is this case of wine I'm picking up tomorrow with Chambers. So he sends you these little newsletters, and there's a guy with a beard, and it looks cool. Uh, it's and he's, th- I guess. Yes, that's his name, Dominique. Here, I have it written down. See, I can't read it. But I just so you could pronounce it. Yeah, it's Dominique Belluard. So who is this guy? What's the wine? Tell me about this grape I've never heard of. So here here it is. It's something new. Uh, So Dominique has been reviving that grape called Granger, which is an indigenous grape of the French Alps. So we are just close to the lac, uh, the lac Clément, the sweet, like the big, big lake uh, between Switzerland and France. And Dominique has been uh, growing in a small valley in Aise, and Granger was almost on his way to get extinct. And he basically saved the grape. I think there is 20 hectares right now. I may be wrong, but it's like really nothing left. And he's making some of the best interpretation of Alpine wine. So... He's doing bubbles with it. He's doing um, still wine with it. If you like, if you like Chardonnay, but with a little bit more exuberance and florality, and beautiful acidity, you should definitely seek out his wine because they are, they are superb. He's in biodynamic. 
and he has like 75% slopes and <laughs> he's like even thinner than my chef uh, and the one are superb yeah so Granger almost almost one of these grapes that almost got um, and this was good. a wine I think do you have it on your menu La Belle d'Ennui La Belle Donis. Donis, Pinot Donis. Yeah, so it's the first time I've ever had Pinot Donis by itself. I've had it I, in blends. First time I've had it by myself. And it was so freaking pleasant, so delicious, so good. Yeah, Pinot Donis is a great grape. Nothing to do with Pinot Noir. Uh, no, it's when it's from... Indigenous grape from the Loire. And yeah. uh, very, if you like, if you like uh, Gamay and Syrah, is like mixing the two of them and you get the fruiting and the pepperiness. It's a beautiful grape that also got is on is not doing that great because a lot of people are ripping that out. So. Yeah, that peppery. So we're talking about not, we're not talking about peppery as in pyrazine, as in raw, as in vegetal, as in green pepper, which you'll find in some Bordeaux blends. You'll find it in Cap Franc sometimes, not as a flaw. It's there. But we're talking peppery like cracked pepper mill peppery. Yeah, fresh cracked pepper. Well, how does that, where does that come from and why? It's come, it's come from aromatic molecule on the skin and it also comes from um, certain type of, of fungus that you, you find around. It's a grape that is very sensitive to what we call geosmin. And the geosmin has that very, uh, very humid forest floor, bee juice, cracked paper quality. So you get a mix of both. But I just love that, though, because it stays it's there the whole bottle and never blows off. I and you throw it in the glass, and it's just like, chef, you'd love it, because we crack. We, how, many, how many hours have you spent with a peppermint yeah. in your hand? And just that smell that releases from the fresh grape. And to get that in wine, it's just like, what the F? How is this possible? And it's the whole way through the bottle. In every sip and every glass, it's, it's delicious. Oh, it's a beautiful grape. So if you haven't been to Rouge Chalmat, Chelsea, get your butts there. 18th Street between 6th and 7th, south side of the block. Charming little red former whatever the hell it was, carriage house. Really cute, insane wine program. Thanks to Pascaline. Um, I'd say 85 to 90% of the list are natural wines. Um, organic or biodynamic farming. And then there is some with... Like with or without sulfur, you can find everything after that. Yeah. Yeah, it's another. We could do a whole show on sulfur and not sulfur, couldn't we? Maybe we will one day. Um, <laughs> thanks so much for coming in, Andy. Safe travels home. Great to see you. Sorry, we're sending you to the only other place on earth that made the shittiest fucking decision in the world last year. Sorry, but um, <laughs> yeah, no comment. <laughs> yeah, no comment. But uh, that's okay because you're coming back here, so you're just kind of stuck between. Well, we hope so. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations on the opening. I know it was delayed for a long time. It's great to have you guys back in the restaurant scene in Chelsea on that block. Rouge Tomat, they do brunch now. The food's amazing. The wine list is insane. You cannot go wrong. Uh, pours by the glass. Everyone on the floor knows the wine, so if Pasco's not there, don't worry about it. Who was ever talking to you has been schooled by the master. Thanks for coming in. Next week, I think the whole show is going to be um, about wine. Ah, oh, isn't that shocking? I know, that's David Campanelli, like Joey Campanelli's show, but I'm stealing it from him. Yeah, I've got Victoria James coming in with her boyfriend, Ryle, Lyle Rails back. They just got back from France. He's with Kermit Lynch for years, and Kermit's got a great portfolio. He's one of the OGs. So we're going to talk about their trip all over, what they drank, what they ate. So if you like this sort of thing, tune in next week. See you in a week. Bye. Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.